Good evening to everybody, and how are you tonight? I think everybody is here, so we're going to begin. And it is Parshat Vayera. Last week, we did the Parsha with some questions, and then we elaborated on the answers, and everybody seemed to enjoy that. We lost Russell. Anyway, everybody seemed to really enjoy that. So this is an interactive class. Turn to the Parsha in your Tanakh and you'll be able to follow. I'll tell you where to find the answers. Okay, the first question is, why did God appear to Avraham after the Brit Milah? The question is, why did Hashem appear to Abraham after the breach Milah? And Alan and Eileen say to comfort him, that is along the right track, yes. As a matter of fact, that is exactly along the right track because he was coming to visit him. He was visiting the sick. This is a mitzvah, visiting the sick. Why was Avraham sitting at the entrance to his tent? In the Parsha, it's in the first verse of the 18th chapter. He was sitting at the entrance of his tent. Hoping for guests, that's right. Waiting for travelers to come by, that's right. He pitched his tent and it was open on four sides. Now, in Israel, where I was living out in the Judean desert, there was a, a family who built a resort area and they called it Eretz Reshit. And one of the attractions was the tent of Avraham. So they would have the tent set up and they had people playing Avraham to show the, the uh, hospitality of Avraham. They would serve people food. It was really very nice. And when I asked the man who started this, whose name was Boaz, I asked him what was his reasoning for building this. He said because he wanted people to understand, because out, out in the Judean desert, you have these Bedouin camps all over. And he said he wanted people to understand that the Jewish people have a nomadic background as well. It's not just the Arabs. And so they had the camels, and they would have camel rides. And interestingly, at my older daughter's party for her conversion, we had it there at Eretz Breshit. And she came riding up on a camel, and then everybody was sitting in the tent, lounging around. And we were the guests 
of Abraham's tent. It was really very, very special. Kind of put yourself back into that time frame and think how it would be if I were a traveler in the desert and I were sitting in the tent of Abraham of Munich. Sitting in his tent, enjoying his hospitality. Just kind of put yourself back there. It was really neat. What were the missions of the three angels? And that's in the second verse. What were the missions of the three angels? One informed Abraham Sarah would have a son. There were three angels and three missions. That's exactly right. And you're right, Lisa. That was one of the missions. To deliver the news and destroy Sodom. That's right. And there was one more. Because there were three angels. So there was one more mission. And you can think about this. What were the names of these angels? Come on, Debbie. What were the, who were the angels? Healing, exactly. And so the angels were, does anybody know? Healing and saving law. Now that, you're right. That's also right. Gabriel was one. Gabriel, Raphael, and Michal. And that's right. Those are the three angels. I knew you knew that, Debbie. Why did Abraham enjoin the guests to wash the dust off their feet? dust is part of idol worship in that part of the world. Right. That's right. And Lisa's going to say something else. Uh, he thought they were Arabs and worshipped the dust. Right. Exactly. He thought they were Arabs who had this practice of worshipping the dust on their feet. And so he did not want idolatry in his house. So he had them wash their feet, wash the dust off their feet. Exactly. But it was also a custom in the day for guests. Exactly. He wouldn't allow the idolatry in his house. But it was also the custom of the day as hospitality to um, wash the dust off your guests' feet. Right. And it was a part of hospitality. Exactly. Why did Abraham ask specifically Ishmael and not someone else to prepare the food for the guests?
And think about Ishmael. Who was Ishmael? He wanted to teach his son how to be hospitable. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because Ishmael, and he was the oldest son, and he wanted him to learn hospitality. At that time, he was Abraham's only son. Why did the angels ask Abraham where Sarah was? They wanted her to hear the news. Well, that's a thought. But the reason was they wanted to call attention to Sarah's modesty, like they understood that she was in the tent. They knew it. They wanted to under call attention to her modesty to in order to endure endear her, rather, endear her to her husband, so that he would he would have that emphasized to him by his guests. See what a modest wife you have, and it, a virtue, and so he would endear her to him. And this is a wonderful thing, considering the fact that they're announcing that she's going to have a baby. When God related Sarah's thoughts to Abraham, he did not relate them precisely. Why? And this is found in the 13th verse of the 18th chapter. So look at that 13th verse and see what did she say she thought and why did Hashem not relate it back to Abraham exactly the way she thought it. She said he was old. Yes, that's what she said. And also, like you said, because it was uncomplimentary of her husband, and so what she, what Hashem was doing is called in Hebrew, Shalom Bait. He was preserving the peace of the house. What cry from Sodom came before God? And this is found in the 21st verse of that 18th chapter where you, you read that they that Hashem says a cry from Sodom had come up to heaven what was this cry and this is in the oral it's in the Midrash so you might not have that so does anybody know does anybody know what that cry from Sodom was begging for liberation. In a way, that's true. But there's something a little bit more specific about whose cry was it? 
cry of the innocent that was being persecuted and killed? Yeah, that's a thought, and that is along the lines, yes. There's somebody specific that was crying that Hashem heard, and we're going, and I'm going to talk about that here after everybody gets through writing your answers. No, it wasn't locked, but you're close. cry of lack of charity by a person who they would not give bread to. Now you are on the right track with this. Now the story is like this. There was a law in Sodom against giving charity. There was a law against feeding the poor. Anybody caught feeding the poor would be executed. So Lot's daughter um, hid bread in her water jar when because she, she saw this poor man dying. And she would hide bread in her water jar when she would go to the well and she would give it to him. And so the people were watching this man and they're thinking to themselves, well, he's been sitting here all this time. Why hadn't he died? Because he should have died by now of starvation. But he hasn't died. So they thought, somebody must be feeding him. And they watched. And they saw her feeding this man, this poor man. So they convicted her to death and the way they killed her was they poured honey on her and the bees stung her to death and her cry went up to the court of heaven and that was why the verdict was was passed right everybody knew who Hashem was so it went up to the court of heaven sorry about that And that's why the verdict was passed against Sodom. <clears throat> How many angels went to Sodom? Two. Exactly. Now, which two do you think it was? Which two was it that went to Sodom? We said that there was Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. So which two do you think went to Sodom? And why? Now somebody gave an answer up, up a little while ago. Exactly, Raphael and Gabriel. And, and what was the reason? Now, now, Gabriel had the mission of destroying Sodom. So if he was to say, he, he had said to Abraham, we're going down to destroy Sodom, that's part of his mission. And Raphael had the mission of coming and healing Abraham. But rescuing Lot's family is also a, an aspect of healing. So Raphael's mission when he went to Sodom was exactly. Michael's mission was finished when he gave the news. And so Raphael's mission, it was an extension of saving Lot. Once he finished with his mission, oops, once he finished with his mission to 
um, heal Avraham, then it was an extension of that mission for him to go on and save Lot. So that's exactly right. Why was Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom? thought he couldn't go back because they would arrest him. No. And he wasn't there to offer hospitality to strangers either because that was against their law. Um, the reason that he was sitting at the gate was because he was, he was sitting outside to protect sojourners. No, that actually, you know, you're on a, on a correct path with that. The reason he was sitting at the gate was because he was a judge. And they would only listen to him if their judge, if his judgment went along with their own corrupt ways. But what you say here, Dale and Catherine, um, Lot would walk around the city at night, and he would look for travelers so that he could take them in and protect them, because he knew what was going to happen to them. So in this way, he had some of the righteousness of Abraham. He had taken. Some of the righteousness of Abraham with him, and he would tra he would walk around, and he would um, look for sojourners, just like you say, travelers, just like you say, in order to protect them from what would have happened to them otherwise. Exactly. But at the time when he was sitting outside the gate, he was acting in the capacity of a judge in this horrible, corrupt place. Now. They came into his house, and he served them matzah. Why would he have served them matzah? My commentary says the angels came on the 15th of Nisan, which was later Passover. And that is right. And Lisa, you're right. It was Passover. Right. Check the date. Right. Why did Lot delay when he left Sodom? Why didn't he just get up and leave when he knew that they were going to destroy the city? Why would he have delayed?
was he thinking to try to get his sons-in-law to come with him? Um, that was that would have been the the perfect answer if only that were the case. The reason he delayed was he was thinking, well, I have all my gold and I have my jewels and I have my pearls and I don't know how to take them with me and and what should I take in what order and he was worried about his property and how he was going to save his property. And when it came right down to it, he had to leave penniless because he delayed. And so he left with nothing. The angels had to take him by the hand as he had taken them by the hand and taken them out of the street. They took him by the hand and took him out of the city before the destruction. So he was repaid, Mida connected Mida, for his kindness to them. Why were Lot and his family not permitted to look back at Sodom? Now remember this, the whole thing about um, when the angels told him not to look back. Because it would mean they were going to miss it? Right. Right, I, I see what you mean. I see, And that's initially what I would have thought too. They were not worthy to see the destruction of others. They weren't entitled to witness their faith, the lifestyle. Right. Now, I understand what you're saying, Lisa. And this is, that's part of it. But the fact that um, Lot and his family had lived there, and they had become corrupt as well, they really did deserve the punishment themselves. They were not right. They were only righteous in relation to the other people living in stone. But they were not righteous people. They were not in. So they weren't really worthy to see these other people get this faith because it should have been theirs as well. So that's really. Um, why they were told not to look back because they could not look at this happening to other people when they really and truly deserved the same fate. They weren't as bad as the rest of the people. Comparatively, they were righteous. But they did, by living there, by taking part in that, they did deserve that as well. Kind of like we only see the bad traits in others to see ourselves. Yeah, it's like a mirror, exactly. But the the fact is, if people choose to live in a place that is a very evil, corrupt place, there's something wrong in themselves. This is a lesson that we really have to get. There's something wrong within themselves if they choose to live in the company of these evil people. They should be choosing to live in the company of righteous people so that their own lifestyle would go up instead of down. They shouldn't be wanting to be above other people. They should be wanting to have the lessons so they can improve themselves. They were commanded not to look back and look what happened when Lot's wife did. And we're going to talk about that too.
the Lot's wife did look back and she became a pillar of salt. Why was she punished in this particular way? Remember the term Mida Kenegad Mida. So why would Lot's wife be turned into specifically a pillar of salt? Uh, we have to remember that Lot's wife, Iris, was a native of Sodom. Lot married her. She was a native of Sodom. Was it salt part of the currency of the day? Yes, that is true. Like the soldiers could be paid in salt. You're right. But the thing about her was that she was always so stingy that she didn't want to put salt on the food. So when the angels came in, Lot said to her, well, the food doesn't have salt on it. And she didn't want to give them salt. So she went, used that as, now remember, Lot is trying to keep this a secret that he has guests because he doesn't want to be killed. And so she went to her neighbors and said, can I borrow salt from you? We have guests. So could I borrow? And this is something that they would be killed for, having guests. But she says, we have guests, and I don't have salt. Could I have salt from you? And it was because of that that this crowd of these men knew they were there, and they came to the door. Because Lot's wife went to all of her neighbors, telling them that they had guests. And also because she was stingy, and she wouldn't, didn't want to give her guests salt. So... Because salt was the reason, you know, it was what was used, her excuse to go to neighbor to neighbor to neighbor. That was her punishment. So when we're told that whenever we look at this pillar of salt, that we remember her. Now, on the one hand, we can say this about her, that she was stingy and so on. But on the other hand, if we think about her as being a mother and she knows that her other two daughters are still there, you know, we can look at it two ways here. Now, she was also a mother of these two girls that did not leave. And so she had to, it wasn't just the lifestyle, it would have been partly that. Well, we really don't know where the pillar of salt is, but it would have to still exist today. But if you stop and you think about it, her daughters had stayed there. So it was really a tragedy. In what merit did God save Lot? And the answer for that is in the is 1929. Lot had protected Abraham by concealing from the Egyptians the fact that Sarah was his wife. Now, when Lot went to when he, Lot went into the mountains with his daughters, this is another thing that the the midrash says that 
the reason that this tragedy happened with his daughters and that he had incestuous relationship with him, although it says that he didn't know when they laid down and when they got up, was that he had secretly desired to have incestuous relations with his daughter. And so that's something else too. And when he had said he didn't want, he wanted to go to that, that city, the Zoar, Zoar, um, and the angels told him he could do that. And then he got afraid. He was afraid to go there because he thought, oh no, they'll know that Sodom has been destroyed and it could be unsafe for me to be there. So he went up into the mountains with his daughters. And his daughters thought that all of mankind had been destroyed. They didn't really understand what was happening. And so they, they from this, were told for the sake of heaven they did this laid with their father and so that is where Moab and Ammon came from the nations of Moab and Ammon and so there was a reason for that though that from Moab came who? who came from Moab? Ruth. And who came from Amman? There were two holy sparks that came from this tragedy. Two holy sparks that were in the line, in the, in the messianic line. So who was the other one? Naamah, exactly. And she was the wife of King Solomon, and she was the mother of Rehoboam. Right. Because sometimes we're not really familiar with her so much. And so it was for the sake of these two holy sparks that this whole thing happened. The whole nations were created for the sake of these two holy sparks in order for them to come into the world in a disguised manner. It's like they came in through the back side in order for them to come into the world. To bring Mashiach into the world. So why, after the destruction of Sodom, why did Abraham relocate? Just think about that for a minute. He's living near, like across the mountains, he's living. But he relocates. There was no one to serve. The whole region was destroyed and there would no longer be any travelers. Yes, that's right. And also, he was concerned too that people would associate him with Lot, who had went to Sodom and the destruction of Sodom. And so just as Lot was afraid to go to this other city, 
because he was afraid of what the people were going to be thinking of him after the destruction of Sodom, Abraham had some of the same concerns. And so he relocated. And where did he go? Do you know where he went? Right, he went to the land of the Philistines. Right, Philistia, which is today called Gaza. Why did Avimelech, who was the king of Gaza, king of the Philistines, give gifts to Avraham? Remember the whole story of Avimelech. Why did he give gifts to Avraham? Well, he had wanted Sarah for his own, yes. But then when he had taken Sarah and she told him she was a married woman. And so then he said to Avraham, why did you deceive me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And he, what he's saying is, we're not as corrupt and horrible as the Egyptians. I can understand you doing it there, but why would you do it to me? And remember, his whole family, people in his, all of these people were stricken with a plague where they could not bear children. And so when he gave Sarah back to Avraham, uh, Hashem had also told Avimelech, that he should request of Abraham that he pray for him. And this is a very important thing, that Shem had a specific formula for Avimelech to be healed. And so he told Avimelech to ask Abraham exactly to pray for healing, to pray for him and for his household, that they should be healed. So sometimes this is the whole, this is the thing, that Hashem intends for a person to go to the study to ask for prayer. This is a precedent here. That sometimes the person needs help in order to be able to effectively pray. They don't know how to effectively pray for themselves. And so, Hashem says, go to the tzaddik and ask him to pray for you. And in the merit of the tzaddik, then I can heal you. And this is exactly what he did with Avi Miller. He told him to ask Avraham to pray for him. And so Avimelech then gave gifts to Avraham. Now it's very interesting. Later we see that there is a pact between Avimelech and Avraham. Now this pact is called Be'er Sheva. This is the pact of seven. It was at Be'er Sheva. The whole uh, thing was about the wells where they were having a dispute about whose well it was. And so Abraham said, okay, we can settle this very easily. We'll just have our shepherds bring the sheep and the one whose sheep the water of the well rises for owns the well. But then Abimelech then said to Abraham, he wanted, he saw 
that Avraham was blessed by Hashem. And he wanted Avraham to make a pact with him. This is this is the whole pact of Beersheba. Sheba is also covenant, and it is also seven. So Avraham brought these seven sheep, and he made a pact with Abimelech. And what what was this pact? That he would not um, that he would not attack him. That there would be no war between them until the seventh after the seventh generation. So this seventh generation is going to be Moshe. And so this is why when the people were leaving um, Egypt, they could not go up through Philistia. They were not supposed to go up through Philistia because Abraham had made this pact with Abimelech. Now, Abraham was not supposed to do that. This pact that he made with Abimelech was was wrong. He was not supposed to do that. And it caused several things to happen. It caused the um, the Ark of the Covenant to go into the hands of the Philistines for seven months. It caused seven of the um, of the places where the tabernacle stood that it it was um, that it it caused damage to that that they had to move to a different place. And, and there were seven kings that were killed. And, or the seven of the line of the kings and the last ones of course were Shaul and his sons and so this there was a really strong repercussion for this pact that Abraham made with Abimelech that there was a repercussion and, and this is a an example to us that we have to be really really careful about deals that we make with our enemies yes we want peace but we have to be careful what we do. We have to be careful that we're not violating something that Hashem has told us, something Hashem has given to us, something we have no right to make a deal about with our enemies. And the president, our example is here, our very, very righteous father, Abraham, doing this, making a deal with Abimelech. And, and it backfired. It was, it was a terrible thing. And the Philistines really did take advantage of that. Now why was Abraham later told to listen to Sarah? And what was it that she said to him? What was that? What was that story? He was told, listen to the voice of your wife. Nobody? This is an easy one. It's chapter 21, verse 
There's a very interesting thing about listening to the voice of a wife. There's one place where a man got in trouble, more than one place, for listening to the voice of his wife. And here, Hashem told him to listen to the voice of his wife. Right. Her children would be his heirs. And the, the thing we get from this, the sages tell us, that her prophecy was greater than Abraham. That she understood things in a way that he didn't understand. Ishmael is a bad influence. Exactly. Ishmael had brought an idol into the into the tent, and she saw him playing, shooting arrows at Yitzhak. And so she knew that Ishmael was dangerous, that he was a bad influence and he was dangerous. And yeah, she could have compassion on him and all this, but it would it would be exhausting of energy for Yitzhak to always have to be concerned with this rather than learn Torah. And so she said, send Ishmael away. Now, the thing is, is that yes, Ishmael was sent away, but Ishmael was not completely cut off from Abraham. We should never think this. Now, one of the things that we know that is true is that whenever um, Abraham passed on, we read that Yitzhak and Ishmael buried him together. But in the meantime, there's a story of Ishmael was married to a woman of Moab, and Abraham came while Ishmael and Hagar were off doing something, picking fruit. And so Abraham went to the door, and the wife was sitting at the door, and he said to her, could I have a little bit of bread and some water? And she said, nope. No, he wasn't 13. He was, he was like the next year. But he was still a boy. He was 15. He was 15. Um, and so the wife said, no. We have no bread. We have no water. There's nothing for you here. She just sees him as this vagabond. And so he said, when your husband comes back, please give him a message that the threshold of his house is bad. And so when when Ishmael came home, she gave him that message. And so Ishmael said, that was my father. And he divorced her. Then he married another woman, a woman from Egypt that Hagar got for him. And Abraham came to visit again. And he asked her for water and bread. And so she said, of course. And she gave him water and bread and she was very kind to him. So he said, please give your husband, when he comes back, a message for me that the threshold of his house is very good. So she, so she gave that message to Ishmael. And Ishmael said, that was my father. And he was complimenting me on my life. It, it was, it's clear from these various stories that we see from the Chazal, from the Midrash, that Ishmael visited Abraham and Abraham visited him. So there was not a complete break. There was not total break. But there was a break giving Ishmael the room for him to do tshuva. Why did God... Now, remember, whenever she had... whenever. Abraham banished Hagar and Ishmael 
He put Ishmael on her shoulder, and he's a 15-year-old kid, so he was not feeling well at the time. And he gave her a water, a skin of water, and he sent her away. Now, it sounds like he had to really steal himself in order to be able to do this. And he knew that he was supposed to, he had to do that. So when they were wandering the desert, and... They did, could not find any water. Why did God listen to the prayer of Ishmael and not to that of Hagar? Because she was only concerned with herself. Yes. And so the story is like this. Hagar was very distraught because she knew that Ishmael was dying. And so she threw him, and this is what the Torah says, she threw him under a tree and then she went off by herself. She distanced herself from his suffering. Exactly. My microphone fell off again, so I'm going to stick it right there. I hope everybody can hear me okay. So she distanced herself from his suffering because she said, I can't stand to watch him die. Now this, you can understand how it would be painful to watch your child die, but is this the way a mother should behave? Is this the behavior of a mother who loves her child? No. And so that is the reason that God listened to his prayer and not to hers. Now we can think about this in other terms, and it's been the comparison has been drawn in our own time. How the Arabs, well, if we look at how they say the poor Palestinians and all this other stuff, it's like they're, they are collectively the son, like they are collectively the child. But yet, the Arabs as a collective, being a mother, are they really concerned about this child? No. They are using this child for their own political ploys. They just like throw him under the tree, let him die by himself, unless we need him and then we're going to go pick him up. And then we're going to say to the world, look at that poor child over here, and it's Israel's fault. And we draw this, and we have to realize that there are these prototypes that are like archetypes, rather. That Ishmael is an archetype. Hagar is an archetype. And we can see the behavior, this behavior, in the people who are connected to these archetypes. And we see the same kind of behavior, that there is no compassion. The compassion is considered a weakness. And so we can see the same kind of thing happening as Yul's back says practically. <laughs> Who accompanied Abraham and Yitzhak to the Akedah, the binding? And this is found in the third, cha third verse of the 22nd chapter. It appears for the most part that we human beings never learn from the past. And this is true, and we should, because it repeats. It's a cycle. It repeats. It's a spiral cycle that goes around and around. And every time we don't learn from the past, we're brought back to that same point so that we can 
try to do it again and see if we can get it right. So who were the two who accompanied Abraham and Yitzhak? I have to ask, wasn't the banishment cruel also? Um, Eliezer and Ishmael. Well, as you can see by the answer, Debbie's answer here, it's correct. Eliezer and Ishmael. The banishment on the surface seemed like it was cruel. And you would say that, that, that initially it does seem like that. But what Abraham did when he put the, the water on her shoulder was he told her to stay connected to Hashem. And as she, as long as she stayed connected to Hashem, her water did not run out. But once she started thinking about the idols of her father's house, her water ran out. Then she started crying. And Ishmael was crying. And Hashem listened to Ishmael. Because Ishmael did have a... And what was Hagar doing? She was saying, well, this isn't fair. You, you promised that Ishmael was going to be a great nation. You told me this. And she was berating Hashem because she said he wasn't keeping his word to her. He betrayed her. And this is, this is wrong. This, is, this was a wrong attitude. And Ishmael was just crying because he was thirsty, because he was dying. And so Hashem had pity on Ishmael because he saw him. And in the, in the heavens, the angel said, but why should you save him? Because his children are going to wreak havoc on the children of Yitzhak. Why should you intervene? Why should you save him? Let him die. And, uh, and the answer was that exactly, it was a test by Hashem for Hagar, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. The answer was that Hashem said, I'm not going to punish him for something that has not happened yet. I'm not going to punish him for something his, his descendants will do. And it was a test for Hagar because later we see that she comes back to Avraham and her name is Keturah. She's had a complete change of character. So she needed that time in the wilderness, that time in the wilderness to come back to Hashem in this very, very special way. And and her character became sweetened like the aroma of Keturit, which is incense. And that is that was the um, the the part, the uh, positive side of what happened to her. She needed that suffering in order for her to be able to come to that holiness that she was going to come to. Remember. Hagar was the daughter of Pharaoh. She wasn't just some common person. She was somebody of royal blood. Now, it was Eliezer and Ishmael that accompanied Abraham and Yitzhak to the Akedah. And then, when Abraham went up to the Akedah with Yitzhak, he came back down alone. And they asked him, where is Yitzhak? And, of course, they thought he sacrificed him. Now, he didn't actually sacrifice him, as we know. He had sent him to the yeshiva of Shem and Eber to study. 
This was the reason that Abraham came down, back down the mountain alone. It says that the two went up and Abraham came down. Because after that, Yitzhak went to the, to the yeshiva of Shimon Eber to study. And we should know too that Yitzhak was completely changed after this. The Chazal talk about when Abraham had bound Yitzhak hand and foot and Abraham's tears fell on Yitzhak. But more, Yitzhak's eyes were, were focused up and were told that the angel Metatron said to Hashem, How, Hashem, could you allow Yitzhak to be killed? How? And his tears fell into Yitzhak's eyes. The tears of the angel. And this is Metatron, the, the chief of all the angels. And he cried about the binding of Yitzhak. And his tears fell into Yitzhak's eyes. Yitzhak had seen... It, the idea is that he was 37 years old. But he had told his father to bind him tightly so he wouldn't flinch and make the, the sacrifice um, illegitimate for soul. He wanted it to be binding, and he was willing to be the sacrifice. And once he was put on the altar, he could he was always and forever the sacrifice. And this is something that's very interesting. So, sacrifice cannot be taken down from the altar. So what is the altar? The altar is Eretz Israel. And Yitzhak never left Eretz Israel. But, we're told later that Yitzhak goes to Gaza. So what is that? Sort of a dilemma. And the answer is like this. If Yitzhak is in Gaza, it is Eretz Israel. If Yitzhak is not in Gaza, it is not part of Eretz Israel. So it has this quasi-status. Um, is it Eretz Israel or is it not Eretz Israel? And it all has to do with Yitzhak. Yitzhak is the, is the abiding sacrifice. Abraham was saying, this was the tenth test of Abraham's faith. And so he wanted that his son Yitzhak would not be tested. He's gone through it all this time. All this, all along. Ten tests. He says, now I pray that Yitzhak will not be tested because he's been the sacrifice. And so we say that any time that the Jewish people are in sin, the Abraham, all that Hashem has to do is he looks. The other, other fathers can only pray so much, but Yitzhak can pray, I was willing to be a total sacrifice, a whole sacrifice. I ask you now, Hashem, to look upon my ashes. And it is as though he is ashes, ashes, sitting beside the throne of Hashem. He says, look upon my ashes. And count this as being the sacrifice in advance for my people, for my children. And this is the, this is the reason that we... The liturgy goes like that. This is a theme of the liturgy on Rosh Hashanah. 
going to Yom Kippur. And what do we do? We call it the Feast of Trumpets. And it's also the the ram's horn, the ram that was caught in the thicket. It's the ram's horn that calls the people to repentance. It calls down the forgiveness from heaven. It's all connected with this binding of Yitzhak. This Akedah is what it's called in Hebrew. So, there's a lot in this Parsha. It's a very, very wonderful Parsha. It starts out with Vayera. Vayera means, and God appeared. It has to do with seeing. God appeared. Is there any question? Now that I've asked all of you questions, do you have a question for me? What is an eshel? An eshel? Where did you get where where what context is that in? Eshel. Oh, twenty-one thirty-three. Okay, let me look. And he planted a tree in Beersheba, and there was there he proclaimed in the name of God, the name, the God of the future. Thirty-three. Okay, so it was the tree that he planted. Yeah? Yitah Eishel. I'm not sure what kind of tree that is. Avraham planted an orchard, you're right, in order to be able to feed the people and have them as guests. You're right, he planted an orchard. I'm not really sure what type of tree that is. Just a second. sure what kind of tree that is. Some people say it was a tamarisk. It was a, but even that doesn't really tell you anything. That it was a tamarisk tree and that was part of his tikkun for um, Adam cutting down trees. That then Avraham planted trees and what he was doing with that planting of trees was Unifying the land in order to make a place for the Shekinah. That this was going to be a place. <clears throat> okay, right, it's a type of tree. That this was beautifying the land in order to make a place for the Shekinah. And that is that in this land of Eretz Israel would be the 
would be the the Mishkan and would be the temple. So he was beautifying it in order for it to make, to prepare the place for it. Okay. Is there any other question really quick? Our time has run out. Says she thinks Vindel, uh, Eileen says she thinks Vindel says Eshel is what grows out of the cracks in the stones of the western wall. Um, no, I think that that is, because we're talking about a tree here. This, what grows out of the stones in the western wall is hyssop. That's what Vindel said. That's hyssop. It's, it's like a bush. You like this format. Yeah, Russell said that last week too. I'm glad. I like having a lot of, I, I like having a lot of interaction with the class. And so I like this format too. Uh, tomorrow night, please join us here at the same time. And we're going to be studying the Parsha again, but from a standpoint of healing. I'm glad you enjoyed the class, Lisa, and I look forward to you being in our class again. So thank you for being here. Very interesting. Thank you. Okay, great. I'm glad.